Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Eli is an SEO expert and consultant with more than a decade of experience driving successful SEO and growth programs for leading B2B and B2C companies. He helps companies like Shutterstock, Gusto, WordPress, Blue Nile, Quora, Get Around, Mixpanel, and Zendesk to build and execute global SEO strategies that dramatically increase their organic visibility at scale. In his latest book, Product-Led SEO, The Why Behind Building Your Organic Growth Strategy, Eli shares tips about differentiating oneself from the competition through a distinctive blend of creativity and logic. All right, Eli, welcome to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about growth, SEO, and other types of things that fit within your wheelhouse. So welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Steve. So here's a question. You know, when I was looking at your background, uh, you graduated from the University of Maryland with degrees in accounting and entrepreneurship. You're heavily involved in entrepreneurship in these programs and clubs. So first of all, let's talk about entrepreneurship. Did you know that you wanted to be like an entrepreneur, do your own thing? from the beginning or talk to me a little bit about your entrepreneurship aspirations and your journeys so far. Yeah. You know, I, I minored in entrepreneurship. I was in an entrepreneurship citation program and I went to university of Baltimore and I, I did an entrepreneurship, I forget what they call it, concentration for an MBA. And I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I even like had talked to a professor of mine about getting a PhD in entrepreneurship and he dissuaded me from it. He's like, you want to be an entrepreneur. If you go and study entrepreneurship, you're never going to make any money. You're just going to tell other people how to make money. And you're going to spend all these years doing it. I thought it's kind of fascinating because I really love the studying of it and like understanding the mindset and like how, what, how people got successful doing it. And then unfortunately for me, I ended up not being a successful entrepreneur because I, I got a job and I was being paid good money. And I'd look at other entrepreneurs and I felt bad for them. You know, they're struggling, you know, they're hustling, they're just trying to figure out where their next check's going to come from. And I'm like, well, I, I got, you know, salary and I got really good healthcare benefits and I only work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then I call it a day. And I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I'd be an idiot to like quit this. And I was very fortunate in that I guess I am an entrepreneur in a sense because I don't have a boss, but I didn't go actually create a startup. So like I was very fortunate in that my full-time job led me directly into being my own boss and doing my own consulting without having to like come up with a really good idea and then go raise money. And I, I did work for a startup and you know I, I watched like my managers and the people around me raising money and be constantly stressed and you know part of what led me to what I'm doing today is we got hit by a Google penalty 
this was uh, 2010, destroyed all of our traffic. You know, we lost one morning, we lost 65% of our traffic and then we, can, we continued to lose traffic and went down to losing 80% of our traffic. Venture back startup to like, not, we also is an automotive content company. We, we sold all of our advertising to, you know, big companies like, you know, car manufacturers and, and other people in the automotive space. And we suddenly lost all our traffic and we couldn't fulfill any of those commitments. So it was pretty horrifying. So like watching that from that end and, you know, watching, you know, the, the management and the founders like losing sleep, like that's rough. So I'm fortunate <laughs> in that. Yes, I'm an entrepreneur and doing what I'm doing, but I don't have a startup. Sure. Oh, and it, it's so fascinating because when I was in my MBA program, you know, I remember like throughout the program, everybody liked the idea of entrepreneurship and we had like a club and everybody would attend the events and they'd talk about, you know, how sexy this idea was to go out and be an entrepreneur. And, you know, when the program was done and everybody was graduating, you know, very, very few people, just a handful of people actually went the entrepreneurship path and, and everybody else went and got jobs. It's not always uh, what it's cracked it to be for sure. And, you know, it sounds like you've witnessed that and experienced it firsthand. Yeah. I mean, I, I lived in Silicon Valley. I'm not there anymore, but I lived there for almost 14 years and I got jaded in the sense that I met so many startups, like lots and lots of little startups. They're great ideas and they just blew up, you know, so much to the point where like I meet someone, they're like, oh, I'm doing a startup. I'm like, oh, okay, you're making the world a better place. Good luck with that. Like, you know, <laughs> more than likely they weren't going to survive. And some of these startups that like, I didn't think we were going to survive unexpectedly became, you know, massive. So special kind of person that can be successful and a special kind of luck, like, you know, a lot of great ideas, just the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your accounting path. Were, were you thinking you were going to go into public accounting or private accounting? Why did you choose accounting in conjunction with entrepreneurship? Yeah, it, it seemed like the wisest major to have because I was never great at numbers. Like finance wasn't going to be my thing. And it just seemed the most logical. Like out of all my choices at University of Maryland, I think it was like logistics. That was really hard. Finance seemed really hard. And like accounting seemed like I could always have a good job out of it. Ultimately, like I interviewed at some of the firms and it sounded terrible. Yep. I, I experienced that firsthand. I was in public accounting for a little bit and I could attest to that. But no, it, it definitely a good degree because I think, you know, accounting and finance, you know, it tells the story behind organizations, you know, that a lot of the organizations, you know, they, they run off the numbers. So I, I think that's very smart to, to be grounded in, in that type of degree. So then you go on and you start focusing on SEO, search engine optimization. Yeah, how did you get into that? Why did you get into SEO and, and what was your passion there? Or, or were you not really passionate? It's just a job and it led you down this path. That's, it's kind of an interesting story. I graduated and I, I moved out to Silicon Valley. I convinced my wife to move out to Silicon Valley. Didn't have a job, didn't know anything. I just said, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have a startup idea. No one was going to invest in me. I didn't have anything to invest in to begin with. But I figured like the closest way, and I was in Maryland, the closest way I can get you know, into entrepreneurship and be successful in entrepreneurship was to go to the hub of entrepreneurship. So I moved to Silicon Valley and started looking for jobs. And essentially, I, I took the first one I was offered at a company called Quinn Street. And Quinn Street's still around. What they do is it's probably very different now, but at the time, there are people that are very, very good at generating traffic on the internet and turning that traffic into something useful with people who really wanted to buy that traffic and turn it into leads and, and monetize those leads. So this was pre-subprime crisis. I was working with these affiliates. They were very, very good at, at you know doing SEO, doing paid marketing, very early kind of paid marketing. Obviously, Facebook didn't exist. It was mostly Google or only Google and, and Bing and some of those other kind of search engines. And they were very good at turning eyeballs 
into people that want to fill out leads. And it was kind of interesting at the time, again, pre-subprime crisis. So I was working with affiliates and we'd offer hundreds of dollars for a subprime lead and we'd offer small amounts of dollars for a prime lead with excellent credit. And I, I remember thinking that was absolutely ridiculous. Why would we pay for someone who has terrible credit, who likely was never going to be able to pay off their mortgage, but we weren't paying for people that were kind of good leads and seemed to monetize? Well, well, we figured it out. For anybody that watched The Big Short, that, that's, that's what happened. Everyone sure. wanted the people to flip those leads and make a lot of money and charge them a lot of interest, and they, they weren't going to worry about any of that. But I'm working with these affiliates. And, you know, I was very good at, at hitting my numbers and doing sales and signing up affiliates and helping them to grow their traffic. And I, I, you know, hit my numbers and I wasn't really compensated to go beyond my numbers. So I started learning from my affiliates what they were doing. You know, they taught me SEO. I, there weren't very many SEO books at the time. So I read everything I could and I started building websites. And what I really loved about it was like this, you know, the confluence of like human behavior and human psychology of like how people search and what makes them click. And then at the same time, like understanding the Google algorithms and what to try to figure out what Google was looking for. That's sort of like when I decided this is something I got to do. This is so much more interesting than anything else. I labeled myself as an SEO, not knowing anything and started interviewing for jobs in SEO. And like, I only, I don't want to do this myself. It's you know very hard to, you know, many of the people who did it at the time, they were sort of hiding from the algorithms and my affiliates were hiding from the algorithms. I wanted to do it for a company. And I, I was very fortunate in that I landed a job in-house and working in a company doing SEO, not really knowing the thing about it. And from there, I developed that skill set and developed that authority and developed the brand around it. So, so yes, I was passionate. <laughs> Explain this, Eli. What is SEO exactly? That's a great question. I'd say like many people understand SEO, misunderstand what SEO is. So it's important to understand what the right definition is. The right definition is that search is a platform. So Google is a platform. Google really dominates all of search. They don't like to necessarily admit it because if they would admit how much of search they dominate, then they may have antitrust issues. So sort of everyone adopts this common lie of like, well, Google is not all search. It's like 80% or 60% and bing, they sort of say the same thing because they want to get advertisers also, but really Google dominates all search. So SEO is really understanding what it is that Google is looking for in a website and understanding how Google is going to decide when a website or web page should be visible on a search engine. And then turning that into best practices and implementing those best practices on a website, on a web page, so you maximize visibility. Part of that is knowing that Google is an AI company. Google's been around for more than two decades and their AI to really create the best user experience possible. So for every person that is searching on Google, most of those people I forget the actual percentage, what the latest percentage is, but most of those people, probably at more than 90% are clicking a free result on Google. That's not where Google makes their money. They make their money on the advertising, of course, but more than 90% are clicking free results. So Google's doing everything they can to provide those people with the best experience possible almost as if it's human centric, almost as if their algorithm is a library, a librarian catering to each individual person for exactly what they need at the right time. So that's what SEO is. SEO is understanding what Google is looking for, but also what a human is looking for and building that right experience for the right time and the right place. Now where SEO is misunderstood is people think that's you're hacking the algorithm and you're finding loopholes and you're trying to be visible on search and you're constantly hiding from Google, which is doing this whack-a-mole that they change the algorithm and you, you get beaten and you, you rise from the ashes and you build some new thing and you, you rise back onto Google. 
those days are over. You know, when I first started doing this, it was possible and there were loopholes in the algorithm. And when an algorithm update came out, you were in trouble and you had to redo everything you're doing. Now that's not the case. Now Google is a platform like any other. They're looking to provide great experiences. If you're finding loopholes in the algorithm, expect them to be closed. So sure. SEO is really a focus on that, a focus on understanding that Google is a platform, what Google's out there trying to do and building experiences for that. And is this why you decided to write your latest book? Absolutely. So within SEO and within, you know, kind of the, the knowledge base of SEO, there's a lot of great podcasts. There's a lot of great blogs that talk about the strategic level of SEO, but there aren't, and there aren't really any books that talk about strategic SEO and how to think about SEO. All the books out there, or most of the books out there really approach SEO from a tactical standpoint. So if you're in the C-suite, if you're a CFO, you're a CEO, and you want to understand, like, how do you invest in this channel? How do you build out great SEO? Your competitors seem to be doing it. What do you do? There wasn't a book for that. There was a book to tell you like how to pick some keywords, but not a book for how to think about it. And one of the things I talk about in my book, and I talk to potential leads all the time for my own consulting, is that they shouldn't do SEO. I don't think that SEO is a fit for everyone. I don't think SEO is a check the box channel that just because it exists that you should put effort and invest into it. Now, if you're huge and you, you have a billion dollar company, if you're Google, you know, working on Google cloud, you want to throw us a few million dollars at it to see if it works by all means. But if you're a startup and you're resource constrained, both from a financial standpoint and from a person standpoint, you just don't have enough people to work on this. Don't invest in this channel unless you're positive. The outcome is going to be pos- like ROI positive for you. So That's why I wrote the book, because I think it's important that people really think about this, understand what it's all about and understand whether this is something they should care about. And I hope that many people pick up my book and say, you know what? I made a $10 investment, $15 investment into this book. And now I've saved myself thousands of dollars of, of wasted money and heartache in trying to build a channel that's just not going to work for me. Like I find that SEO somehow became this channel that people just want to do because they want to do, whereas their other channels aren't like that. Like it's very clear that most startups should not take out a billboard on a highway. They, it never occurs to them if someone would suggest that they would say that's stupid. Likewise, like not many people are investing in the yellowed pages. They just know they're not going to get customers out of that. So know that for SEO. If you're not going to get customers out of this, if you can't rationalize to yourself why a person would search on Google, click your results, and then become a paying customer for you or whatever it is that you do if they download your app, then why invest in it? And in the book, you talk about SEO needs a distinctive blend of creativity and logic. Is this what you're talking about here? There, there has to be like the strategic side of it. There has to be ROI. Talk to me a little bit about what you meant by that comment. Yeah, so once you've decided that there is an SEO user at the at the end, like someone is going to search on Google, they are going to find your website and they are going to want to become a user, customer, download, whatever it is that you want to become, then you have to be creative about this. So again, when people think of this as a check the box channel and they only focus on tactics, so they'll say, and you know, one example I like to talk about a lot is car insurance. So say you have a car insurance innovation and you decide that you want to do SEO because you want to do SEO. Everyone else seems to do SEO. So you start investing in SEO, but you're not being creative. You're not doing anything unique. So if you think about what SEO looks like from a car insurance standpoint, you know, anyone can go Google that themselves. You're going to, first of all, you're going to see all the car insurance companies. Geico has been around as long as Google. Progressive has been around as long as Google. All these companies that actually provide the car insurance they are also in the SEO game. And then you have all the insurance aggregators. They have also been around for a very long time. So just because you decide to play in this arena, you're going to create content around car insurance. It doesn't mean that your content's ever going to show up. Now, 
if you have a startup and you're in the car insurance space and you convince some people to give you money for your startup, you obviously had some sort of innovation. You had a reason to exist. You had a way you're going to improve and disrupt this market. That's what you need to do around SEO. So if you want to give car insurance to people who like to drive drunk, or you want to give car insurance to people who have criminal records, create content around that. That's the content that you want to put out there. So that's the creativity and the logical part of it. Not just say, well, there's more people looking for the word car insurance. So I'm going to write a lot of content around the word car insurance. That's likely not going to work for you. It's getting niched is what you're saying. Like you have to get down. You have to, yes. You ha- and you have to be creative about it because again, this is the most important part of it. There's a human at the other end of this. There's a human that's now going to search that keyword on Google and they're going to be presented with a, a choice of between seven to 10 URLs they can click through. Why would they click on yours when they have uh, there's 10 others or seven other great URLs that have existed long before you decided to do this that they could also click on? So when it, when it comes to SEO, I mean, there's so many companies, I mean, just in in my building alone, there's so many SEO consultants and advisory firms and SEO experts. And I mean, they're all over the place, right? And to me, if I was out there and I wanted to invest in this SEO channel, how would I know whether or not somebody was truly an expert? How would I know that their product or their offering or their consulting actually works? How would I be able to discern that if if I wanted to go out there and hire somebody? So I have a whole piece in my book on this. Now, I really think that companies that want to invest in SEO should do that by hiring an employee. So they should go through the typical hiring process. Is this person, do they have the right ideas? Are they going to fit with the team? Do they understand the vertical? All the things that you hire for. I don't think people should be hiring SEO consultants. I think that SEO is such a critical part of the businesses that it makes sense for that it's like hiring someone to develop your product and then you're just going to go bring it to market. Like that is not a way of differentiating yourself in the market. So if SEO is so important to you, you have the right person to help build out that channel, identify what the product is that you're going to market. And I call it product-led SEO because again, it's not just a blog post and there are many people that write blog posts that are just not successful because no one ever finds those blog posts. It's really how you're presenting your innovation, your product to the market for the people that are choosing to search for your product on Google, rather than the people that are going to hear about you on word of mouth or hear about you on paid marketing. So those people should be internal. They should really understand you. So it's not that you need to find someone who's successful at SEO because like that's, you're looking for a magician and you want to make sure you find the right magician who knows how to do good magic and they know all the Google loopholes. That's not what anybody should be doing. You should be hiring someone who understands how search works, have them a part of your team, work with the rest of your team and growing out that effort, growing out that product. And that's how you'd be successful. Typically, when people are looking for an SEO consultant, they're looking to tackle a specific problem. They're looking to do an audit, which I don't necessarily recommend for many companies because an audit is like a health checkup. It's like you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, look, you need to exercise more and you need to stop eating greasy food. And you're like, thank you very much. I'll be back next year, right? Unless obviously the doctor scares the hell out of you, but It's just a checkup. So I find, and I've been on the recipient of many audits and I've given many audits, many companies don't action on them because they're busy doing other things. And many times the audit doesn't say what the outcome will be. Like if you do this, you double your traffic. So no one's really going to stop everything they're doing to do that. And on the flip side, the audits typically address things that aren't necessarily going to double traffic. So why would you do them? So I find that many things audits like, hey, it'd be helpful if you improved your homepage title tag as an example, but I can't tell you that if you do that, you're going to necessarily get any more visits. You'll check a box. It'll, you'll be a, a, you know, compliant with best practices, but you won't necessarily be getting 
necessarily any more traffic, any more customers, which is what you should get out of that effort. You're making investment into an SEO consultant. So that's why I think you should work with someone who's a part of your team to help really grow out an SEO channel. And that's what I try to do in my own consulting. I embed with teams. I partner with all the people within the company that are helping to build out SEO, the product teams, the engineering teams, the design teams, even you know the, the C-suite, the financial teams to build out the reporting rather than like, hey, I'm a consultant. I'm going to be here for a month. I'm going to give you a report, tell you other things to do, and then I'm out. Well, how do all these SEO experts, how do they know and uncover the secret to Google's algorithms? Because I mean, isn't it a secret? And if everybody knows, and it's not really a secret. So like, how do people even keep up with the magic behind the curtain? So I I don't think there's a magic behind the curtain. I think you have to think of Google as the AI librarian, the company that wants to really curate the web for each individual person. So with that in mind, that means if you are looking for loopholes, that those loopholes may not work. Like a very, very common loophole within the SEO industry is acquiring links. So when Google was first created, you know, in 1999, late 90s, they, the innovation they had over every other search engine was that they were going to count the value of links pointing into a web page. So if a, a web page got a link from, say, the White House, it was going to be more authoritative than a link from anything that was not the White House. So Google would value that and say, this must know, they must know what they're talking about. They got a link from the White House. And by the way, I've gotten a few links from the White House in the past in my past roles, and they didn't really do anything for me. So that's one of the thing, like common things that people thought about Google. Now, Google started that in 1999. Now in 2021, they can actually say, well, it's a link on the White House, but it's no one's ever going to find that link. So we're not just going to calculate and say, well, it's whitehouse.gov. It must be a good page. It really has to matter. So that's what it's important to understand is that Google has changed. In 20 years, Google has gotten a lot better at identifying loopholes, at identifying things. So I don't think there's really any you know, magic to be aware of. It's really build great experiences. Google wants to find great experiences match users to exactly what they're looking for at the right time. So for people in the SEO industry, they are keeping up with all the changes and the way Google's improving. I'd say instead of keeping up with what Google's improving and changing, think forward in the future. What Google really wants to do is they want to be that librarian for all people. So what would you create? Who is the person you're creating for and create that now? Google may not be there yet, but they will be very soon. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. And what do you mean by product-led SEO and how is that different from other types of SEO? So product-led SEO is, is a, it's not, it's not necessarily something I created, but it's a newer concept. And I, I'd say that the better way of understanding product-led SEO is to think of the opposite, which is content-led SEO. So content-led SEO is, I go to a keyword research tool and there are many, many of them out there. You find the keyword of your space. So again, if you're in the car insurance space, the keyword you might find most popular keyword might be the word car insurance. And then you write a bunch of content towards car insurance and hope it works for you. And likely it won't. Likely you're going against competition and you'll probably never, ever be number one on the word car insurance. So the real, the flip side to that is product-led SEO, which is I'm in the car insurance space. I've created something for 
people that like to drive drunk, they need car insurance if their license hasn't been taken away. I've created uh, an innovation for teenagers who have a hard time getting car insurance. So I'm going to create a product around that. I'm going to create a product experience, which may be a way of understanding how that insurance is priced, a way of uh, building out pages for every single city or every single state where I offer insurance or building out all the features. So that's the product. Yes, ultimately it does come down to content, but I think of it as a product, which is I'm not just writing blog posts and writing you know, hundred blog posts. I'm thinking of what are what's all the content types? Does it need to be video? Does it need to be images? How is it all going to link to each other? What sort of web platform am I going to use? How am I going to measure that? So that's why I think of it as a product. And when I justify it and when I go to you know financial leaders to ask them to invest in it, say, here's something we're creating. This is the full end cost. These are the teams we're going to need to build it. These are the expectations from it rather than, can I have a thousand dollars for SEO? I'd like to write a thousand pieces of content for dollars a piece. Sure. And it, well, let, let's talk about this content led approach because I think a lot of organizations are still pursuing this. So is what you're saying that it's more important to be niched and to have a very specific audience, like be very clear on your ideal customer, your audience and so on and so forth, rather than just trying to you know, turn out a bunch of content that just has a bunch of generic words that everybody in your space is competing for. I don't know if the word I would use is niched. I would say you want to think of SEO as a marketing channel, like any other channel, which is to say, let's say you're doing paid marketing. So if you're doing paid marketing, and you're buying keywords on Google, you're not, and again, we're going to keep with the car insurance example here. You're not just going to bid on the word car insurance because now you're competing against Geico and you're competing against Progressive. So that's going to be very expensive. So there's a specific thing that you offer that you're very good at. So yes, you could call that niched. So I would say you want to apply the exact same efforts to your SEO, which is I'm not going to bid on every keyword for car insurance. I'm not going to be number one on the keyword. If I am bidding, I'm not going to maximize it and you know, outbid Geico because they service everyone and I don't service everyone. I'm going to approach my SEO the same way. I think the person that is likely going to click through on my search result is this kind of person who I've created the product for. I think the person who's going to ultimately buy for me is this kind of person who I've created the product for. So I build my SEO around that. So again, when people do this content marketing, they div- somehow divorce their SEO efforts from everything else they're doing in a company. It becomes, again, this check the box channel which is, oh, I need to go look at my keywords and I'm going to create content. Because it's a check the box channel, the way they might measure it is by their visibility. Here's how much, how many, so many rankings I get. Here's how many clicks I get. Rather than I spent X amount of money on this. What's my ROI from this entire SEO effort? Let's measure it the exact same way you measure your paid marketing. The exact same way you measure, you know, this is something that's sort of dying in many industries, influencer marketing. If you go and pay an influencer, did I get ROI from that? Or did I just throw some money out because it seemed like a good idea? So SEO should not just be something you invest in because it seems like a good idea. It should be a marketing channel that you invest in that will provide returns for you because there is a customer there. So not necessarily niched, but it's the exact same way you build every other channel, you build the SEO channel. Sure. Now let's talk about measurement because organizations that we work with, obviously we get them to define key results. That's one big part of their strategic implementation. So if you were in charge of coming up with some key results, right? You're, you're investing in the SEO channel. You're doing everything that you're talking about. What are some key results that leaders should really be paying attention to when it comes to SEO? SEO should be measured exactly like every other channel. 
So if you are doing paid marketing and your key result is LTV, so lifetime value, I'm getting people to click on my ads. So you're just starting with CAC, of course, your cost of acquisition. I'm getting people to click on my ads. Here's my CAC and my LTV is higher than my CAC. Therefore, it's profitable. SEO should be the exact same thing. So you say, uh, again, SEO is, requires more fuzzy math. And there's a reason for that, which is that, you know, Google and Facebook, the leaders in paid marketing and Twitter, and there's some other ones that are coming up, but people spend more money, but most people are spending, most companies are spending the bulk of their, their paid budgets on Google and Facebook. Google and Facebook do a great job of reporting and giving you pixels and helping you track all that through. So you know whether it's a profitable endeavor for you. SEO is almost impossible to track. However, you do know what your investment should be. So if you create a product experience, means you had design time, you had content time, you had engineering time, you maybe had to buy some software for it. That's your cost. So you have a fixed cost for that. Now, from a measurement standpoint, you want to look for profit or at least, first of all, revenue coming from that channel. So you need to be able to measure all that. And again, it's challenging to measure all that because there aren't, Google doesn't help you report on it. So you want to build your measurement the best you can, try to track which channel they've come through. Are you driving revenue from that channel? And that revenue, the metric you use should be the exact same metric you use for every other channel. Again, where people get lost is they say, well, SEO becomes impossible to measure, so I'm going to measure rankings. Again, unless you are monetizing rankings, then that wouldn't be a key result that you should look at. I mean, do you think it's possible for companies to give up too early when it comes to SEO? It, you know, obviously it's a big time investment. It, it takes a lot of money. Oftentimes, do people get impatient with the results and they just, they give up too early or talk to me a little bit about what you see there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a million percent that they give up too early. It's because they don't have the right measurement. And I'd say like, depending on the size of the company, they make the wrong investment. Say they put in a content effort and I worked with a couple of companies that they invested millions of dollars into content. There was one company I'd worked with, they invested into content and they never even published the content. So that investment failed because they never even published it. Worked with another company. They spent millions of dollars building out a content-led effort. So it became something where they have a key product. It's a, a download, but they created this content effort and they spent again, millions of dollars on writing great content. But the only thing people were really going to do with that content was they were going to read more content or maybe share that content on social media. And the way this company was hoping to monetize is they were hoping that you read the content, you see that it's sponsored by this key brand and they'll go and download the app. Now that becomes an advertising model. The best click-through rate they can expect is you know, a couple percent. So they spent all this money and essentially owned their own media and people were not clicking through because they were there to consume content shared on social media, maybe read some more blog posts. So they quit early. Now I'm working with them when we're doing a product-led effort and we're really building content around their product. So if you find their content, your natural need is, hey, I'm looking for exactly this thing. I've Googled for it. I found it. This product solves that need. What I'm likely going to do is I'm going to download and convert on this. And their download rate is now, you know, in the fifties of percent rather than, you know, one to 2% of people even clicking over from that blog into the product. So yes, people quit too early because they spent all this money. They built the wrong effort. They didn't have any metrics to measure it. Someone finally asked the question and say, Hey, we spent millions of dollars. What do we get from it? Oh, nothing. All right, quit it. SEO doesn't work for us. Do you think some people can pursue a strategy for too long, right? And waste a lot of resources and hold on too long? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I advocate for product-led SEO, which is if you think about it as a product and you build a product, products fail. So then you iterate on to the next thing. But if you think about it as a channel, like, oh, SEO is a channel. I'm going to keep pouring money into this failing channel. And you really never change tactics. You never change streams. And then suddenly you wake up and say it failed. 
then your, you know, your investment is lost. Whereas if you think about it as a product, okay, we're going to build out this product experience. Here's our hypothesis. Here's our investment. Here's the maximum we're going to have to invest. These are our key results. This is the time frame. Again, we're building out a product roadmap. This is the time frame we're looking at. Did it succeed? Did it fail? Oh, it failed within this time frame. Essentially, the product failed, but not the idea. Whereas we built something for SEO, it didn't have the expected return. So it's not that SEO failed, the way we were going to market failed. So let's try something else. Interesting. Now let's talk about the creativity piece, because I think it makes sense what you're saying about the the product-led SEO and and taking that approach and being very strategic in in the type of content that you're uh, you're putting out there. And I, I think that's really smart. Do you think people misunderstand this idea of being creative? And what I mean by that is, you know, some people, they, they come up with like, you know, crazy, cheesy, like videos, or, you know, they, they go over the top to try to get people's attention. And it almost seems like dressing up in a clown suit and, you know, waving a sign in front of your store to get people's attention. Do those types of gimmicks work? And, and what's your thought on creative and can you be sophisticated and creative at the same time? Or does that just become generic and boring? Talk to me a little bit about this idea of creativity. Yeah, no, I think that's great when you think about gimmicks. Because if you, again, like I find this is a problem, like in in every industry and in, in you know every job function, people get into this job function and they only think about their job and they forget that you know after they're doing done doing their job, they're also a consumer. So like marketing has this particular problem where like oh I came up with this great idea and they never really think like well if I were doing this myself, would I click this ad? Would I want someone doing this to me? Would I want to like buy something and then discover that the price jumped 50 times or you know, go for a freemium trial and move my whole company onto software and then discover that like it costs $90 per seat, right? Like we need, we need to be consumers also at the same time we're doing that. So the creative ideas really need to fit in that. Now from an SEO standpoint and where creativity I think really matters, and I talk about this in my book, my favorite creative example is Zillow. And I apply a concept Again, I didn't invent this at all, which is called Blue Ocean SEO. So adapting it from Blue Ocean Strategies, which is for anybody that's never read that book, strongly recommend it. A red ocean is highly competitive where everyone's doing one thing and the only way you're going to succeed is by cutting prices or you know being faster to market or something like that, some sort of slight modification. Whereas Blue Ocean, you're doing something completely different where no one else is in that space and you can own that space. So applying that to SEO and applying that to, to Zillow, which is my favorite creative example. So when Zillow started and I was you know aware of Zillow when it first started because I was working in lead generation and working with affiliates and Zillow was monetizing their traffic as a, a lead generator with as an affiliate for the company I was working for. And what they did was rather than say, hey, we're going to come up with this innovation where we're going to generate mortgage leads and we're going to do SEO and try to rank on the term mortgage leads and we're going to rank on the word real estate and people are going to come to our website and we're just going to be a better mortgage lead example. They threw that all out. They didn't do keyword research. What they did was using product research, I hope. They said there's a demand in the market for people to understand how much their neighbor's house costs or how much their own house costs. And there's all this data, publicly data available on that, but it's not easily accessible across all these towns and cities across America. So what they did was they scooped it all up and created this great product experience, which we know today and has continued to improve, which they have every single address in the United States on a webpage. So there's a page for every single person's address where you can find how much it costs. And guess what? You can also get a mortgage for it. So building out this product-led SEO, they built the product, they invested into building this great page and great experience rather than optimizing for the, the search term, which was probably mortgage or real estate. They're optimizing for individual search addresses. That's a blue ocean. Now, when you search an individual search address, you're likely only going to find Zillow 
or you're going to find Google Maps and how to get to that address. They own that space. So that's where I think creativity applies. You look at your space and say, where can I be creative? Where are my potential users? Where's my target market looking for something in SEO that does not exist? If you're going to a keyword research tool, all you're doing is participating in that feedback loop of like, here's what everyone is already looking for. So I'm going to create what everyone is already looking for and continue to create that feedback loop rather than say, well, if I went to market and asked my market, what is it that they want? And their ideas on how to do this. And I mentioned this in the book, like you can go to Quora, look at the questions people are asking, go to Reddit, look at the questions people are asking. Uh, if you have existing customers and you have a Salesforce instance, look at the kind of questions they ask. What are services that you can build for them? Create that. That's where you're being creative. That's where you're solving a problem and putting that kind of content, that kind of product out there. That makes perfect sense. And I think that's smart because I think too many people, they try to go, like I said, that clown route or that cheesy route, or they almost become inauthentic, right? Because they're not true to their brand and they they start doing these these weird things with their content or with their videos or whatever. And I just, I never really understood that. And I didn't know if it worked or not. Yeah, it, it probably doesn't work. And if people aren't measuring it, they don't know that it doesn't work. Like think about all the, the really, really competitive spaces and you enter those competitive spaces, you have no chance. I mean, I worked with a, a company in the rental car space. Enterprise.com has been registered before Google was registered. So they were registered in the late 90s. How are you going to compete against Enterprise who ranks on every single city rent-a-car in any city or every single airport rent-a-car in that airport? How are you going to compete? In this company I was working for, they had a specific innovation around neighborhoods. Enterprise is not in those neighborhoods. Kayak is not in those neighborhoods. So that's where you have an opportunity to be creative and create products around exactly what the product was intended to do. And what they had done before I started working with them was they really went after like, oh, people rent cars based at airports and they rent cars based on cities. And you're not going to catch up to Kayak and Expedia like that because those companies are not pausing their efforts. They're continuing to move forward and they're continuing to create great experiences and build their customer base. Do you think SEO is for everybody? I mean, are there some companies or some industries out there where SEO it's like it's good, it's important to, you know, to have a internet web presence, but are there there's some organizations where it may not be a good channel to invest in? Yeah, I think there are many of them. I, I think that everyone needs before you invest in SEO, and again, like there's small investments and there's big investments, but before you make a serious investment into SEO, you need to do it a deep think about whether there is a search user for you, is someone really going to look on Google and are they going to convert? And you know, one of the places I have seen SEO not work as well, and you know, I've had consulting experiences there which were not so successful, is in SaaS, B2B SaaS. And the reason is, is because if it's the kind of solution where it's very, very specific and someone, you don't necessarily have a lot of people looking for that very specific solution. And when they do look for it, they need a demo. And they need to talk to a salesperson and it takes them months in order to close the deal. That is not a conversion that's going to come from search. There isn't a lot of search volume to begin with. And again, if you think about like, and I worked with multiple SaaS companies, there aren't a lot of entrance points for SEO. There's the name of the product and there's a the couple things that it does. That's a, a handful of pages, but that's not really an SEO effort. You write those pages and then you call it a day. You're, there's no value in creating many iterations of the exact same solution over and over and over again. You know, I worked for SurveyMonkey for a number of years. That's SaaS. That's sort of B2B, but it functions as B2C because consumers can go and search and then pull out a credit card. But if you're not in that space where you can pull out a credit card, if you need to get a CFO to sign off, you need a CIO to sign off, you know, you need to get everyone on board, there's switching costs, you need a demo, a salesperson needs to come out. Like that's not an SEO conversion. I don't think you're justified in pouring a ton of money in there. Now, where you could do SEO is build out 
say some white papers that if someone does go to your booth, when we're allowed to go back to conferences and, and trade shows, someone does go to your booth and they Google you, will they find something or will they only find your competitors? Do that level of SEO, but don't spend thousands of dollars on building out great content that doesn't really matter. Like whoever bought like a SaaS product because they read a blog post on a commute. Sure. That brings up a good question because with so much content out there, right? So many organizations, they've been going down this content-led approach. Or even if you go down the product-led approach, like you're talking about, you're still creating content. I mean, do you think that there comes a point where there's just too much content out there and it's like so much for people to consume that they just shut off from that whole approach? Yeah. I mean, I think that search is only growing. So for anybody that thinks that like this this channel's dead. No, it anything is only growing. If you think about all the devices that are out there, like they're there to make us search more. You know, you you can search on your phone, you search on your Alexa, you search. You know, and by the way, just because you search on your Alexa doesn't mean it's not SEO, right? So like you search on your Google Home, you search all these searches. So people are doing more and more and more specific searches as Google answers those questions. And I love like the kind of questions Google can answer. You can ask Google what kind of movie you should watch. You can tell Google, I'd like to watch like a comedy that has a specific actor in it. And you can actually describe the actor incorrectly and Google will still find it. That's SEO. So like what ends up happening is you need to create more and more specific content. Like there's a movie and I can't say the name now because I don't want to mess it up, but like it, it just won the Oscars and I was searching for it and I saw that some of the suggested results didn't even use the name of it. And they asked if that movie was triggering. So like that's an emotion around it. You can create content around whether that movie's triggering and that's a whole new search, which there's not even going to mean a keyword search volume around until you create that content. So I think there's infinite amounts of content which you can create when you're providing great experiences. And like I said earlier, like I moved from Silicon Valley to Texas. And one thing that's very different in Texas is there are all sorts of weird bugs that fly around my house that I never saw before in California. And I don't know which ones are going to kill me and which ones are going to freak my kids out and all that. So I, I Google for them and I describe them and Google can always find me almost always on my search, my first search, exactly what kind of bug it is. I'm like, wow. it's got a red bottom and it's got 95 legs and Google's like, Hey, here's a picture of it. And it's, it's fine. Right. It, it, it kills spiders. So that's search, right? Like create that specific thing of, and now create a piece of content of like what you should do with that bug and will it kill you? And what happens if you get bitten by it rather than let me optimize towards the Latin name of the bug, which is the way you might always have done content led SEO. So I think there's infinite demand for search as search becomes more specific. And as search becomes more specific, we're going to be trained to do even more and more searches. Well, and I, I think there's, I mean, there's bigger companies that have the resources to manage all this, right? And they have the resources to write specific content and to invest in this channel. What about the thousands of small businesses out there that, you know, maybe they only have, let's say 10,000 bucks to invest in, in the space. Is it a good idea to just throw a few thousand on LinkedIn ads, throw a few thousand on Facebook ads, maybe do some Google ads. Is that a good strategy? Is that a bad strategy? Should you even go down that path if you don't have the resources for the long term? I, Whenever someone is, is resource constrained, I always tell them to spend it all on paid marketing because paid marketing, you get instant gratification, you get instant results. So you instantly figure out whether that's working for you and you can instantly optimize on it. Whereas if you invest in other channels, like you invest in an SEO channel, it'll take you six to 18 months before you even know if it worked. If you're a startup and you're resource constrained, you might be out of business by the time you figure it out it worked for you. Whereas if you do paid marketing, you can quickly identify product market fit. You can quickly identify your product messages and your marketing messages, and you can quickly identify your customer. And from that, 
hopefully you will start generating revenue and you'll be less resource constrained. And then you'll have extra revenue you can now use for some experimental channels. But it, early on, and if you don't have a lot of money, I would, compl- I would pour that all in paid marketing. Work with an agency. I have agencies I love working with because yes, agencies cost a lot of money, but it's like working with an investment manager. You'll lose less money than if you do it yourself. Like there's a learning curve. You don't know the platforms. You maybe never did it before. You work with an agency. Yes, they're charging you, but also a lot of what they're doing is far more efficient than if you do it yourself. That I think is the most effective strategy before you go into any experimental channels. And what do you mean by paid marketing specifically? Facebook, Google, those are the easiest, probably even Facebook first. And then I would go into, you know, like you said, LinkedIn ads and depending on your market, maybe Twitter, there's even very specific, like you can, if your audience is on TikTok, you can go on TikTok, but don't just go on TikTok because it seems like a good idea. If your audience is on Snap, go on Snap. But Facebook is probably the largest and Facebook includes Instagram, of course, but the largest place where you can get, again, instant gratification of, do you have product market fit? Are people going to buy from you? Is that a good investment or not? That makes sense. All right. So you've worked with a lot of uh, tech companies, a lot of the top companies out there. What's it like working for these organizations and what types of problems do you find most commonplace when it comes to their SEO strategy? Every single company I have worked with did not have an SEO strategy, which to me is always baffling. So many of the companies I work with spend tens of millions of dollars per year on paid marketing and they didn't have an SEO strategy. They thought they did SEO, but it was, it was just tactic layered upon tactics of like, hey, we made this page. Why did you make the page? Or uh, what did you hope to get out of it? And if you had millions of dollars to invest in SEO, what's the roadmap? What are you trying to achieve with this SEO? Who's your SEO customer? So most of them, the companies that work, they didn't have any SEO strategy at all. The other thing that I find to be really commonplace is none of them had any tools to measure their SEO traffic. It's very complicated to measure. You really need to tie into multiple data sources. And one of the most important data sources you can tie into for measuring SEO is that financial reporting, which is, did I get a customer or did I not get a customer? That's like, that's the be all and end all. Like you can measure your rankings. Great. But like, did it drive any meaningful dollars? Did dollars come into the company or not? Many of them don't have that. And it's a process. Like the larger the company I work with, the harder that is to get to that source of truth. So find that to be super commonplace the larger the company is, the more cooks you have in the kitchen sort of breaking SEO efforts. And that becomes my sweet spot of where, you know, it may take me many months to get to some sort of goal on SEO, but that's a marathon that we have to run. And if I didn't run it with them, they may never have run it. Whereas like with smaller companies, you tell them what to do and they sort of do it. And you don't have a bunch of people breaking it or, you know, that have their own opinions on how things should go. Like with larger companies, things become a lot more siloed and you have a lot more people that need to go along for the ride. Sure. That makes sense. Now let's talk about quantity versus quality, because I I get what you're saying as far as like being very specific on your product and the product market fit and the ideal customer and so on and so forth. When it comes to content creation, once you have this figured out, is it better to produce a lot of short content and get it out there? Or is it better to invest in fewer pieces that are high quality? And then the second part of that is, does it make sense to hire somebody to like ghostwrite content? Or is it better to have that coming from within? So it's an authentic voice. That's sort of a hard question to answer because it has to be specific. So my favorite effort would be programmatic and scalable. So an example of that might be Zillow, where They didn't really write the content. They pulled in a bunch of data from various data sets and created a page and maybe wrote a little bit of content and then populated that content across millions of pages. 
very much will depend on the niche of like whether you can have that quality versus quantity. I do think you need to have a base level of quality, but then you need to aim for quantity. Because if you are in a space where you are meeting a very specific need, like I, like I talked about the bugs, like you don't want to really focus in on one kind of bug if you want to drive SEO traffic because there's a finite amount of people that will look for that one bug. Maybe you want to focus on all bugs that exist, but you don't want to write content for all those bugs. So what sort of data sets can you acquire to have sort of a base level of content that answers the questions that people have? Will the bug kill me? And also is not some huge effort of writing really long thousand word pieces of content. So again, you're pulling in data sets. That's a minimum level of quality, but also a high level of quantity. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So what other advice do you have, you know, as we wrap things up here, if you could give just one piece of advice, I guess, you know, one thing that people can do to really move the needle within their organizations to really drive value, what would you say that that would be? I think it's the, really the most important thing anyone should do is they need to take off their work hat and think to themselves, is someone going to be looking for my business? And if they are, what are they looking for that I am uniquely positioned to solve for them? And how can I solve it for them? If you can't answer that question, then you should not invest in SEO. And if you are in a position, if you're in a leadership position and someone is coming to you and telling you that this is what they're investing in in SEO, and you can't answer that question for yourself, then don't invest in it. If you're in the position of creating this effort and you can't answer that question of what am I uniquely positioned to solve and how am I going to solve it? Don't invest in it. That just becomes a waste of effort. But if you can say, well, I'm uniquely positioned because of what my company and product are out to accomplish. This is why, this is how and why someone is going to search for me. Then I think you have your answer. And that, again, it's not a huge piece of advice and you know, it should be a no brainer. But again, too many people don't think of that before they start. They focus on tactics of, well, I need to do SEO and I have... to invest in SEO and I'm going to pay $1,000 per piece of content. So give me my 10 pieces of content I'm going to create. They don't ask the why first. So I I think, again, it's so important to ask that why before you ask that how. And I think you touched on a a lot of great things uh, throughout this episode, especially when it comes to like empathy and, you know, it's starting with that empathy towards our customers and really understanding what problem we're, we're trying to solve with our products and services and then building a strategy around that. And I love that instead of just going out there and being very tactical. And I think that's a true differentiator in what you're really standing for here. So I'm, I'm excited uh, for your book. Congratulations to getting that out there in the market. Keep on doing what you're doing because I, I think this type of information is extremely valuable for organizations that are looking to scale or just to pursue smart growth, right? And and when they have these resources that they're they're trying to maximize, you know, being strategic with the resources and very deliberate and intentional is very critical. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and being on the show, Eli. And I, I wish you all the best as you go out there and, and continue your journey. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at cultivar.com. I would love to connect. All the best.